On this edition of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast, we name our Terp of the Week and play another round of our favorite segment, now named Fair or Foul. Then, Justin turned the tables and interviewed me before polishing off this week's podcast with a chat with Maryland right-hander John Murphy. We talked to him about Star Wars, his relationship with former high school and college teammate Mike Shawarn, and which Maryland pitchers can hit. Here we go. This is the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Here's your host, Jake Eisenberg. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the 37th edition of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Thanks for joining us. Jake Eisenberg and Justin Galanti here. And we'll start with our Terp of the Week for this week, the final week of the regular season. This past weekend, well, it was A.J. Lee who had one of the hottest bats on the Maryland team, ended up with seven hits in 12 at-bats, and he's our Terp of the Week, Justin. And I think what's even more impressive about the seven hits and 12 at-bats that Lee had was that he did it all moving up to the sixth spot in the order. In your mind, you say, okay, A.J.'s been hitting ninth all year, so maybe a pitcher relaxes when the nine hitters at the plate. You get more fastballs. You get more pitches to hit. That's not the case when you're in the sixth spot in the order, excuse me, and A.J. kept up his hot hitting. So I think he's clearly the Terp of the Week. Uh, not a lot of guys did huge things, but A.J. was certainly productive offensively. The Terps did lose two out of three to Northwestern. It's the third straight series that the Terps have dropped after falling two out of three to Indiana in Bloomington, falling two out of three to Illinois in Champaign, and then the two out of three this past weekend to Northwestern at home. Terps on a little bit of a conference slide, but A.J. Lee certainly a bright spot. Mentioned his torrid month of April. We've talked about this a lot on the broadcasts. Hit 400 in April. That's now continued into the month of May. In May, he's hitting, well, around 400, too. He's brought his average all the way up to 336, which is now second on the team. Yeah, he he's just had a great year. And, look, we don't know what perceptions are like around the Big Ten, but I think there's a chance that A.J. Lee is quietly putting together uh, an all-Big Ten season. I, I would absolutely agree. I think his biggest competition for all-Big Ten first-team or second-team or, or what have you would be Drew Lugbauer, who also plays third base up in Michigan. But as far as Big Ten third basemen go, A.J. Lee is putting together their season a 3.36 average, a 4.11 on base percentage, 4.93 slugging, six home runs. He's also stolen 12 bases, has played a much more solid third base as of late than earlier this season. I think he could absolutely be featured on one of those teams. Yeah, and that's, about, that's what I was about to say. Early in the year, A.J. was having trouble over at third base, but it was really... Once the Terps got to carry North Carolina and then started playing home games, that A.J. kind of locked down defensively. I think right now you're pretty confident with Kevin Smith as well that anything hit to the left side of that infield is pretty surely going to be an out, and that's huge. So A.J. Lee, our Terp of the Week, but the Terps did lose two out of three. And just taking a look at this series against Northwestern, it was kind of an odd one in the sense where it's hard to pick out, I think, exactly what went wrong. Because I think the pitching was there on Friday, certainly in Brian Schaefer. The pitching was not necessarily bad on Sunday. On Saturday, however, things got away from the Terps a little bit, especially in the bullpen in that big fifth inning. The Terps have struggled giving up the big inning. I think maybe that's something you can point to. Uh, what, what was your thoughts? I, I just thought it was all about lack of command in the strike zone. Uh, first of all, with Tyler Blom, he only allowed two hits, but he didn't make it. He only made it four innings, and, and I thought the main reason was that. Every single batter, it seemed like, was 1-0, 2-0, 3-1. And it's just so hard to pitch that way. He ended up walking only two batters, but things just didn't exactly go his way. He threw 75 pitches to get 12 outs. And then Ryan Hill, I mean, he was just struggling. I thought 
and we talked about this last week, the last couple times Ryan Hill's pitched, it's just looked different. His mechanics have looked a little bit different. To me, it doesn't look like he's throwing downhill the way he was early in the season. And then, you know, the obvious point with Jamal Wade was he just couldn't find the strike zone. Right. I mean, for, for Jamal Wade, he faced four batters and walked three of them, three of them in a row, and that helped force in a couple of runs at the back end of that five-run seventh inning. That's how the Terps fell on Saturday. And then Sunday, we talked about this on the broadcast, Maryland had their chances after their five-run bottom of the fifth inning, got the winning run on second base in the bottom of the tenth, couldn't bring Will Watson around, Northwestern takes the lead in the next inning, and that's that. Right, and it's tough because Alex Arrow had the huge game, right? Four for six, two runs, two RBIs. And when you look at Northwestern coming into the series, there are a few particular guys that you say, okay, just don't let these two or three beat us. One was Alex Arrow, one was Joe Hoshite, and I think Arrow beat him on Sunday. And I think Hoshite, you could make an argument, was one of the guys to help beat Maryland on Saturday with his two-run triple. Absolutely. The one thing I will say about Sunday, uh, I just want to get your take on this. You did the game with Connor Newcomb. I was there for a while, but I left in the sixth inning because I could feel myself getting sunburned. <laughs> Does it look like I made the right decision? Well, you're wearing a red shirt right now, which I think takes away from the fact that your face might be a little bit more red than but we I, realize. It's not as bad as it <laughs> it's was. It's not as bad as it was after Rutgers, but I applaud you on your awareness to leave the ballpark prior to getting sunburned. However, I will deride your lack of ability to wear sunscreen or bring sunscreen <laughs> after having episodes where you might get burnt. Yeah, I mean, frankly, I was in the area because I was returning textbooks. And then I was, I said, oh, I'll go over to the game. And then so there were some MBN staffers there that I got into talking to, and I was having a good time. You guys missed a foul ball, too. All right. Do you, <laughs> do you want to talk about what happened on Sunday? <laughs> we, can t we can get to that later. Yeah, all right. But, uh, you know, I ended up staying for about five innings, and then I could feel my skin and... <laughs> so I, I might have to get well, out of here. well, we'll make sure to, to bring up and load up on sunscreen for Bloomington. No, we're all right. We're indoors in Bloomington. Oh, that's right. But hey, don't even you, you, you never know. We'll, we'll see how sunny it is out in, out in Indiana. So now we'll move on into our segment. I think this is the third or fourth time we're doing this. We finally came up with a name. This is the segment where Justin and I will make a statement about the Maryland baseball team or the Big Ten Conference and either defend it, call it a farce, take a look at it, really examine some of these issues previously called Work in Progress. It is now, and I'm happy to debut this name, it is now called Fair or Foul. I like it a lot. It was thought of in the car driving to the bank. It was an epiphany, really. Yeah, Jake um, had it. Kind of simple, really, if you think about it. It's almost kind of a wonder that it didn't come up, come to like anyone's mind <laughs> prior when we were racking our brains for a name, but it's it's suitable. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll start with Fair or Foul, and Justin, I'll defer to you. Well, thank you. Um, so now we have myself as the kind of founder and CEO of this segment, and you own the naming rights. Yeah, I'll take that. Okay. So first, after the past three weekends, losing two of three at Indiana, two of three at Illinois, two of three at home against Northwestern, uh, Maryland is no longer a lock for the NCAA tournament, and we say that uh, we're not calling them a bubble team, but we're saying no longer a lock. If things don't go well at High Point and then in the Big Ten tournament, uh, there's a there's a chance the Terps are unhappy on Selection Monday. Well, I think those are two very different things. And I want to start with this coming weekend in High Point. Well, not really this weekend. It's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, the series this weekend, as the teams get ready for the Big Ten tournament the following Wednesday. Maryland right now 33-17 and 17 overall, 15-9 and nine in conference play. The conference season is done. Maryland is currently in fourth place in the Big Ten Conference. 
they still have a chance to finish in first. They just need Nebraska to get swept this coming weekend. Easier said than done, as the Cornhuskers have been good all season. Took two out of three from Maryland earlier this year. The lowest Maryland can finish in the Big Ten is sixth. That's where Maryland was seeded last year when they didn't make the NCAA tournament, even though they made a semifinal run into the Big Ten tournament. So a couple things I think are, are interesting to break down here. The first being that I don't know exactly what the results in high point, I don't really know how those are going to affect Maryland. I think the biggest effect that losses in high point might have, it'll lower Maryland's RPI, and it'll be another example of a failure on the road. Maryland has struggled on the road this season. Those cases are well documented. The Terps have been much better at home, 20-3 and three at home. The RPI, I don't think, is going to drop an exorbitant amount. Right now, Maryland's sitting at 36, dropped 12 spots after losing to Northwestern on Sunday, and well, dropped 10 spots after losing on Saturday. They were came into this weekend in the top 25 in RPI, now 36. So I think Maryland's RPI will still be in the top 64, regardless of what happens at high point, regardless of what happens in the Big Ten tournament. Of course, RPI is not the end-all, be-all of things. Basically, I think what I'm getting around to saying is I think this is a fair statement. I think Maryland was a lock, but I don't know. I think our confidence maybe in it being a lock is not as strong as it was. So I have a couple points on that. First of all, when you talk about RPI, um, I know 64 teams make the NCAA It's tournament. not the top 64. Right. You're not looking at 64 because there are going to be teams that win conference tournaments outside the top Absolutely. 64. So you're really looking at, you know, top 50, let's say. Yeah, even, even top 45. Right. Truthfully. Right. I also disagree. Um, I think a bad weekend at high point could really hurt them because I think – Look, Maryland's strength of schedule is not the greatest in the world. His, the thing about that, and I'm going to interject here, is that it was intended to be really, really strong at the onset. And th some of the teams that Maryland played who had strength of schedules last year that would have helped Maryland did not perform the way they might have expected to. Okay, but, I mean, it just is what it right. is. I know they tried. Right. So my point being, um, I think for a while that was somewhat ignored because of the accumulation of wins. And now that that's kind of not happening anymore, um, it turns into a little bit more of an issue. And right now, if I had to add up on both sides, I would have a hard time saying they don't have more bad losses than good wins. I think, I think that's fair. So then my question to you is, I know you said you didn't think anything that happened at High Point would affect too much, but... Is there a record in the next two weeks that you could come up with and say, if Maryland goes X and X, they won't get in? I think, truthfully, the only record that would have me worried about Maryland not making the tournament would be if they did not win a single ball game. If they lost all three in high point and if they lost the first two games in the Big Ten tournament got bounced early, that would give me some cause for concern because the committee will look at how teams finished and Maryland would not have finished well by any means. I think, I don't think Maryland is going to lose all five games because Brian Schaefer is going to pitch two of them at least and he's been the best pitcher in the Big Ten this entire season. He leads the conference in ERA. So you have some confidence there. It's really what happens in the other two to five potentially. Okay, so then I have two more questions for you. First, you know, people come out with projections during the week, so on and so forth. Do you think Maryland's a three seed right now or still a two? I think that's a very interesting question. And I don't, I'm not 100% sure how to really answer that. I think 
if there would be a tournament that were selected right now, Maryland would probably end up as a three seed, given the fact that they're fourth in their conference and have just lost three straight series. Um, so I think, yeah, I think more likely to be a three seed than a two seed, although how that factors in on where they go is an interesting question because it all depends on who ends up winning the conference tournaments, including the Big Ten conference tournament, because we talked about this last week, how it could be a four-bid league, how there's a path to five teams, the drive for five, as you like to call it. You know, you could end up in a scenario, depending on what happens down the road and, and next weekend and two weeks from now, that it could be three teams. Right. You know, we really don't know. I would say in the Big Ten, at the moment, there's still the core four of Nebraska, <laughs> Michigan, Maryland, and Indiana, and then Minnesota's is that a chance. Is that a shout-out to Derek Jeter? It is. Oh, it very, is. very good. Um, you know, you will always have in common with Derek Jeter that, I'm just going to guess this, you will both have thrown out your last first pitch ever on the same day. You know, I didn't think about that. I'm hoping that that's not my last first pitch ever. Maybe I'm lucky enough to get a chance to do another one. Okay. Um, I'd like another. Uh, I'd like a chance to redeem myself you at least after, threw after out skipping the first, it. Yes. Um, but then, okay. So my second question on this topic, maybe third question, was: Now that Maryland's done with the conference season, do you think it matters what happens this weekend in the sense of, okay, Maryland's set where they are right now. If things shake out well for them and they finish you know, Big Ten regular season number two or three, or if things shake out poorly for them with the out-of-town scoreboard, they end up Big Ten regular season number six. Do you think that matters? I think it matters more, and this, I don't really know how much I'd put into this, what I'm I mean about to say. I mean this in terms of NCAA tournament selection, not I Big would Ten. Say, I would say that should Maryland move up in the Big Ten standings but not win, I don't know how much that would affect it. I think if they move down, I think that could have more of an effect than Maryland moving up, if that makes sense. I agree. I see what you're saying. All right. So we'll see what happens this weekend in the Big Ten Conference standings, and we'll be on that. Next one up in our fair or foul segment, um, one of the big surprises other than A.J. Lee this year has been John Murphy, and I think he has emerged as Maryland's second-best relief option right now. So is your number one Ryan Selmer? My number one is Ryan Selmer. I'm saying John Murphy right now is Maryland's second-best relief option. And I, I want to I back this up before you jump in here. The first reason is that we've seen Ryan Hill falter a little bit over his last few appearances, and we'll dive into those numbers a little bit later. We've seen Andrew Miller falter in his last couple of appearances. In fact, back-to-back -back batters that he's allowed go-ahead home runs to, Alex Arrow on Sunday, and then last weekend in, in Illinois, the walk-off home run um, for the Illini. And John Murphy, over his last nine innings, has not allowed a run. In fact, he hasn't allowed an earned run since the Michigan State Series. Maybe quietly the best ERA on the team at 1.27, and it's no fluke. It's in 21 and a third innings. Right, so I'm going to tell you to imagine Carlton Fisk in the World Series Game 6 where he's trying to keep the ball fair, and it does stay fair. So I'm going to say fair statement, but it's very close. Okay, so we're going right down the line here. Yes. And the reason I, you know what I think I think the statement was made in that vein. Okay. I don't know how much on the other side of the fence I am with this statement, but I, I'm I'll, we'll go just fair right now. Yeah, um, we're pushing it. The winds. We're pushing it. it. Yeah. Yeah. So the reason that I say yes is because John Murphy's been excellent and looked so sharp of late. The reason I'm hesitant about it is that I don't think he's been in the big spot yet, and you just don't know how he would react I agree. to that. So the question is, you know. Because Ryan Hill's been the go-to long man, right? And Murphy's kind of stretched out. He's had some starts this year, and he can give you a few innings. So the question is, 
you just don't know. If you get into a situation that Maryland's been in quite a few times this year, where on a Saturday or a Sunday, you know, let's say the second or third game of the Big Ten tournament, whoever starts it for you only goes four innings, are you comfortable with Murphy bridging it to Selmer? That's, that, and that's a good question. I think the question becomes, you know, if you're in a situation where you need a long man, do you turn to one guy or the other first? If you're in a situation where you don't have Ryan Selmer because he pitched the day before, do you go to one guy or the other first? I think the biggest point to be made with this statement, and because of Murphy's history as a quasi-starter last year and hadn't gotten a start this year even though it didn't go well, I think Murphy would be one of the leading candidates, and this is pure conjecture, to be one of the guys who starts a ball game for Maryland in the Big Ten tournament should they progress to the point where they need a fourth or fifth guy. Yeah, and that also is, you know, how do you play things, right? You don't, I'm not a proponent of hedging, and I don't think you are either, right? So you can't say in game two if it's 3-3 in the fifth inning and your starter needs to come out, well, we might need Murphy game five, so we can't bring him in now, right? So you're going to have to play things as they happen. Um, I don't know. Right now, I would say John Murphy's the first guy out of the bullpen early in the game. But also, I mean, there's no f- there's no way to say this other than we just haven't seen it yet, so we don't know. Right, so questions still need to be answered, and maybe they will be this weekend. So, slightly fair. Right. Uh, next statement is going to be a little different than what we normally do. We're both going to have an answer for this one. The statement is, for Maryland to turn things around this season, blank needs to figure it out. And we'll each say a player for this. Um, I'll go first, I guess, because it's my turn. And I will say Tyler Blome. Um, I think that there's a lot of dialogue going around that Tyler Blome has hit the quote-unquote freshman wall, which I think is just, frankly, lazy analysis because people don't know what to say about what's going on. He struggled his last few starts. It, it just is what it is. But pretty much all season, Maryland's been predicated on eight innings and a win Friday night from Brian Schaefer, six innings and a win on Saturday from Tyler Bloom, and then get what you can from Bloom on Sunday and you have most of your bullpen rested. And I think for the Terps to be successful in the Big Ten tournament, potentially in a regional, um, I think that they need to – I think what they're going to get from Brian Schaefer has almost become a given, which is amazing, but it's just what it is. Um, but they need to have confidence that they can win game two, and they need to set up for a potential you know, five-game tournament. You, you can't get four innings on, in game two. I'm going to respond to that and then, and then give you my player. Right. I think – the case with Bloom, it's really just been the last two starts that he struggled, two and two, two and two thirds innings statistically in Illinois. Yes, statistically, but also I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna give you a couple numbers and you can take them how you want to. Two and two thirds innings against Illinois, that was a rough start for him. Gave up five earned runs, six total. Only lasted four innings this past week against Northwestern. But prior, the three starts prior to those two starts, he was three and zero with a 1.96 ERA, 16 strikeouts and five walks in a little over 18 innings. And it's come against three Big Ten teams. Came against Indiana, came against Michigan State, came against Penn State. Okay, two of those three teams are teams that are currently not in the Big Ten tournament should the season end today. But Indiana was a team that took two out of three for Maryland, you know, in spite of Blome's good start against the Hoosiers. And really what I'm getting at with this is Blome's struggles have been more recent than they have throughout the entire season. And that's obviously true when you have eight wins, regardless of what your ERA is. If you have eight wins, you're doing something right, as much as wins are not really the greatest metric to decide things. Um, I think you're right in saying that Blome, you know, needs to turn things around. 
But I think the point that I'm trying to make here is that we've seen what Bloom can do, and there's no reason why he can't do that again. I don't disagree with that, and I, I was by no means saying that. I was just saying it's very important that the trend of these last two starts doesn't continue. I agree. So, so my guy for this question, what guy needs to turn things around over the next, I guess, three games now? Um, I'm also going to go with a pitcher, and I'm going to go with a guy we talked a little bit about earlier in Ryan Hill, who really emerged after two rocky starts to begin his Maryland career as the Swiss Army Knife go-to guy out of the bullpen, really just lights out whenever Maryland needed him to be in whatever situation Maryland needed him to be. But over his last three appearances now, Ryan Hill has pitched four and a third innings and given up nine earned runs, which is not good. It's not good, Um, especially, you know, on Saturday, the start of that seven-run top of the fifth inning. And, you know, you kind of touched on this earlier, how you thought, you know, Ryan Hill might not be throwing the same way. I know that when we spoke to him on the podcast and, you know, in other occasions, his stuff works best when his cutter is working best. And it's tough for us to see lateral movement from where we are on the first base side um, in the press box. But I wonder if you were to sit behind home plate, if you would have noticed a difference in that pitch in particular over the last few appearances for him. It looks like that pitch, which is a cross between a cutter and a slider, depending on how hard he's throwing it, um, has seemed like it's more of a slider than a cutter lately. It's slower, and the spin's not as tight. I agree with what you're saying, um, because whether it's starting maybe game four of the Big Ten tournament or needing to come in in, big, in game two of the Big Ten tournament, uh, Ryan Hill is somebody that Maryland needs. I think he's crucial. Right. And I think I, he's absolutely crucial. Right, and it's somebody that you can be confident in and saying, okay, if we're down 4-2 in the fourth, we're confident they're not going to have more than four in the seventh. Right. And that's the way it was for a month and a half, two months. It hasn't been that way recently. Um, yes, I I agree. He's somebody that it would be very important for the Terps. Crucial, in fact, like you said, if he could figure things out. So our final statement, I suppose, for fair or foul uh, I guess it's more of a question that we'll both have an answer to, kind of like the last one. If you're Maryland, who do you want to face in Game 1 of the Big Ten Tournament? So th- the question here is, should we look at this realistically, or should we look at any one of the eight? Because, I mean, even though, even though, excuse me, um, they just dropped two of three at home to them, I think Northwestern's the obvious answer of the teams in the field right now. However... It's pretty unlikely Maryland gets the number one seed and pretty likely Northwestern either gets eight or seven. Um, So how do you want to play this? Well, I think the two things that you have to take into account here is, one, Michigan State could end up in those top few teams, depending on what happens this weekend. Um, So you can look at really the top nine, I think, below Michigan State, Rutgers, Illinois, Ohio State, Penn State. Even though Penn State's the only one actually eliminated, the other four in that category are going to have a tough chance, tough job to jump in. I think you have to you have to figure out where you think Maryland's going to end up, one through six, and I think you and I would both agree that it's more likely between three and six than one and six. Yes. Um, you have to consider that, and I think you also have to take into account that game one is when Brian Schaefer's going to pitch. Right. Uh, how about proposal on my part? Okay. How about we take in the Big Ten standings right now from Nebraska to Indiana? Pick one of those teams. So you're saying one of the top six teams. 
not including Matt which Jones. leaves us with five choices essentially. Yes, because in all likelihood you're you're not playing seven or eight. Okay, I'll 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 agree to that. Okay. Would you like to go first? No. Okay, then I'll go first. I think <laughs> <laughs> I think if you're Maryland, you'd want to face of those top six teams. This is this is tougher than than you think it is because these are of those six teams. In terms well, of well, face here's the thing. I'll, I'll 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 say my thought process. My initial thought was Indiana because Jonathan Stever, their Friday night guy, was not good against Rutgers this week. However, the game's at Indiana, and I don't think right. you want to play Right, and we kind of talked about this kind of in the in the week leading up to you know when we're recording this podcast, and we had this conversation about how. Yeah, maybe Indiana's a team that Maryland want to face. There's a little bit of animosity between the two. The Terps would love to, you know, get a little bit of revenge. These teams matched up in the Big Ten tournament last year, and the Terps, well, threw two complete games against them. In fact, two of the best pitch games in Maryland history. Schwarm with 16 strikeouts in game one, and then Brian Schaefer, the best pitch game of his career in game three of the Big Ten tournament. So this is a team that Maryland, you know, has had success against, just not in the regular season. And, but it's, but it's in Bloomington. Right. So I think because of the fact that it's in Bloomington, you take a look at those top six teams, really the top five, the only two that Maryland has not played are Minnesota and Iowa. And both of them have a clear Friday night ace like the Terps do. Minnesota has Lucas Gilbreth, who's been really, really good. In fact, got his only had his first loss of the season this past weekend against Long Beach State. Meanwhile, Iowa, their ace is Nick Gallagher, a guy who the Terps are familiar with from the Big Ten tournament last year. And Gallagher this season has put up some really good numbers quietly. He's 7-1 with a 2.33 ERA, 72 strikeouts in 19 walks, and 77 in a third innings. So it's not only who Brian Shaper is facing, it's also who the Maryland offense is facing. Right. Well, I was thinking it about it more as which Friday night starter Maryland is facing. But just a question, um, in my opinion on, on it, is you'd probably rather play a team that has not faced Schaefer this year. That would be my first inclination. But on the other side of that... He might be in their heads, other teams. And on the other side of that, you'd maybe prefer Maryland's offense to face a guy that they've seen already. Mm -hmm. And I think if you're going to pick one of the three starters of those top six teams that the Terps have seen already, Jake Hohensey for Nebraska, Oliver Jasky for Michigan, and Jonathan Stever for Indiana, well, we already said that it's in Indiana and there's going to be a lot of hype there for the Hoosiers. Maybe you don't want to face Stever. I think your next best chance might be Hohensey. I agree. He hasn't pitched well lately. The thing I will say... The game the against Maryland was the game of his life. Right. Um, the thing I will say, if we're coming down to choosing between Nebraska, Michigan, and Indiana, I think Nebraska and Michigan are better than Indiana by enough that you would not worry so much about the home field I would agree. I would agree. Indiana. I think... I think Michigan might be the best team coming out of the Big Ten heading into the tournament. Oh, absolutely. In terms of how they've been playing as of late. Absolutely. And I think if you're just looking at the last two weeks, Oliver Jasky's the best pitcher in the conference. I mean, the kid's been unbelievable. Two weeks ago, he had a complete game, 16 strikeout, shutout against Ohio State. That's the best game that's been thrown in the conference this year. Absolutely. Jasky has been... Phenomenal, and it's Schaefer's biggest competition for Big Ten Pitcher of the Year. I mean, you and I talked about this a little bit. Um, well, I guess we texted about it. We talk about a lot of things. Right. Um, the other morning, 
if you take out Jasky's start against Rutgers, there's a legitimate conversation about Big Ten Pitcher of the Year. I don't think there is because he got he got lit up a little bit by the Scarlet Knights, and that inflated his ERA a lot. And right now, Schaefer's ERA is about a, a run and a half better. But the rest of the statistical categories are very close. And, yeah, Schaefer beat Jasky, but Jasky beat Hohensee, and Hohensee beat Schaefer. So it all kind of <laughs> – it's convoluted. Um but you know, just a bit, just the way he's closed is really impressive. I, I think Michigan's the number one team you don't want to face. I I would agree with that. Even without Akeo Thomas, who hasn't who's been hurt lately. I w- I would agree with that. So that'll do it for our fair or foul segment. Finally, we have a name. Hope you enjoyed our our questions that we posed this time around. Uh, our turp of the week was AJ Lee. We touched on that a little bit earlier. And, well, one of the guys we mentioned during that last segment was John Murphy, who was kind enough to join us on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast this time around to talk about things like, well, how he was a starter last year, emerges as a reliever this year, what's different for him. So here's our conversation with sophomore John Murphy. John, thanks for joining us on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. No problem. Thanks for having me on here. So you're having a really nice season, but let's go back to your trip to Maryland. You came from Gloucester Catholic, where you actually hold the all-time wins record over the guy that holds the all-time <laughs> wins record here at Maryland, Mike Schwarin. Yep. First of all, what was it like going to high school with him, knowing he was coming to Maryland, and then eventually you coming here? Well, he was definitely uh, like he was just as good in high school as he was here. You know, everybody knew who he was. Um, and he was probably one of the bigger reasons why I came to Maryland so I could play with him for a couple more years. When you came down to visit, did you stay with him? Did he show you around, things like that? Yeah, my official visit, I stayed with him and actually Nick Sieri. I played with Sieri, too, in high school okay. during the summer ball. But, yeah, he show, he would show me around and he talked his place up. So coming here, um, at least on your profile on the website, there are a lot of big-time schools that wanted you. So what made you choose Maryland? Uh, I thought that it was the perfect distance from home. wasn't too far, wasn't too close. My parents could still come watch me pitch. Um, I knew a lot of people that were actually coming here. There's quite a few South Jersey guys that I played against and with throughout my career when I was younger that was coming here. So I just it felt like it was just the right place. Now in high school, there's a lot of talk around the college and high school baseball world. You know the showcase things where it's kind of hard to get exposure out of the Northeast, New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, places like that. Was that an issue for you? I, I didn't think so. I always thought that um, Northeast guys, like that Scots liked seeing Northeast guys because they think that we're tougher, where we can pitch in colder weather. Um, yeah, they, that, uh, they just think that we're tougher and that kind of stuff. So when you came here as a freshman, Schwarin was here for his final year. You mentioned Sierra was here. Did that make you more comfortable coming in your first year? Yeah, for sure. Knowing guys that I played with before, definitely they helped me uh, get used to the program. It's always I felt like it's always better to know people coming in here instead of knowing absolutely nobody. Are you still in touch with Mike? Oh, yeah. I talk to him all the time. So he's doing a great job down in the minor leagues. Do you follow his starts, things like that? Yeah, I, I see that he's killing it. Must be pretty cool. Do you model your game after him at all? Uh, I, I, don't, I wouldn't say I model his, my game directly after from his, but I know that he's always been a good mentor for me. And I always take I always took the advice that he gave me and tried to make it make it into something something that's my own. When you came here, you know, coming from the same high school, big right hander, uh, there were inherent comparisons between you and Mike Schwarin. Mm-hmm. Was was there pressure there? Did that affect you at all? I don't, no, I didn't think it uh, 
affected me at all. I just try to do my own thing because I know that for any freshman, it's really tough. It's completely different than high school baseball, so I know it's really tough for any freshman, so I just try to do my own thing. So as a freshman, probably didn't have exactly the success you wanted, but Mm -hmm. got on the mound a fair amount, and it's translated. You're having a great year this year. What do you think you learned last year that's come over to this year and helped you have the success you are? I think the biggest thing is just my mentality on the mound. Last year, my stuff wasn't as good as it is this year. I wasn't throwing as hard. I just felt like like this year's different. I, I feel like I can pitch against anybody and get anybody out. It might have been a little different last year, especially as a freshman. I was just getting used to it. So last year and at the beginning of this year, you were kind of looked at as a midweek starter, and now it's transitioned in a way to being one of the most reliable members of the bullpen. Mm-hmm. Is there a difference in mentality starting, coming out of the bullpen? I mean, not knowing when you're going to pitch maybe as opposed to knowing the night before and sleeping on it and going through your full routine. I think it's definitely different. I actually really enjoy the feeling of being told to go down and get warmed up and get getting ready to get hot to come into relief. It's completely different than starting because you're thinking about it all day. Um, might, might just be a little different in those terms. Mm-hmm. And there's been a lot of talk, you know, guys in the major leagues have, com- have come from being starters to relievers and they end up throwing much harder out of the bullpen because they don't feel like they have to sustain stuff for six innings. You can just come in and max out for an inning or two. Is that something you've embraced? Yeah, I think I have because I know I've gone three and a third, I think was my longest outing. But I, I know that I can come in for an inning or two, which has probably been the average that I've pitched, and I know that I can just go all out and give the batters everything I got. One thing we noticed the other day, it was the UMBC game on Tuesday, mm-hmm. and I believe it was a UMBC batter, a lefty fouled the ball into the dugout, and Coach Fecto got out of the way like nothing I have <laughs> ever seen before. Yeah. And we talked to Coach Vaughn before the game on Saturday, and he basically said, pitchers aren't athletes, and Coach Fecto is certainly not an athlete. What did you think of his reaction to that flying baseball? He he moved pretty quick. It was it was the bat. He let go of the bat. Oh right, yeah, so it was the, the bat. The dugout. So, I mean, I'd like to see Coach Vaughn move that quick out of the way of a bat. Okay, so maybe a challenge on there, <laughs> something like that. Um, what do you think has changed for you this season? Maybe over your last five or six outings, it's been a long time since you've given up an earned run. Mm-hmm. I mean, a very long time, and it's kind of hard having this conversation with guys because. You know, early in the season, you're playing the Louisvilles of the world and really, really good competition. And then not that the Big Ten's bad or anything, but it's not quite Louisville, LSU, things like that. So is there an answer you can give other than just different competition and being at home and things like that? Mm. I think it's just throwing strikes is the biggest thing. I I I think that if you throw strikes against anybody and not, not meaning just right down the middle, if you make your pitches, you can get anybody out doesn't matter who it is. And you said you feel much more confident with your stuff right now than maybe earlier in the season and last year? Yeah. Has that, the year you had between freshman and sophomore year, so many coaches and people around college baseball talk about the biggest jump for a player is between freshman and sophomore year because they get used to everything that's in college and you get on the nutrition and the lifting and all that stuff. Did that help you a ton, you think? Yeah, I think so, too. Because I know last year I lost a lot of weight in a really short amount of time, and I felt like it really hurt my fastball velocity and maybe even changed my mechanics. So over that year, I didn't pitch too much in my freshman year, but uh, um, that spring, the whole summer, and up until the beginning of this year, I really worked on 
like my body a little bit more and I think really improved my mechanics. That's probably what F Coach Vecto helped me with the most. When did you, when did you start feeling more comfortable with maybe the new look John Murphy? I think by the end of the fall because I got a full couple months with Coach Vecto um, going into the winter and then coming back after winter break, I felt completely different than I did last spring. Okay. And, you know, maybe any specific mechanical things that you could talk about? <coughs> Using my lower half. Like before, I didn't use my lower half at all. Was that maybe because you were bigger up top and didn't have to? Yeah, maybe. I think so. Or um, it's just maybe like a inflexibility in like the hips and all that kind of stuff. I just didn't know how to use my lower half. Have there been things that you've done? Maybe yoga? Do you guys do yoga? We, yeah, we did yoga a few times, but it's just like in the weight room. All the We do a lot of hip mobility with Esteban, so I think that's helped us a lot. Now, talking about the team as a whole, right, it's been a tale of maybe three seasons. Mm -hmm. It was a little bit of a rough start and then just an exceptional, let's say, month and a half period where you guys were running through competition, <laughs> sweeping every series at home. Uh, the one game you had lost at home was Michigan, mm -hmm. um, but took two of three in that series against the nationally ranked team. And then the last three weeks haven't quite gone the way you guys wanted. Have you seen a difference the last three weeks that it's been other than, I mean, the pitching staff's probably giving up more runs and things like that, but what do you think needs to go, needs to change to get back to playing the way you guys were in the middle of the year? I don't think we've changed too much in how we play the game on the field, and I mean, we're we've been having just as much fun as we are when we were winning, so I don't think our mentality has changed. It just seems like we haven't had much timely hitting lately, and we we just haven't been pitching as well. Not that we've been pitching bad. I think that's just it's just baseball. Do you think there's a any validity to the argument that it's a long season and maybe some guys are wearing down, whereas you hadn't thrown as many innings early in the year, so you're pretty strong right now? Yeah, um, it's it is a long season. I think it, it happens to every baseball player. You, you get tired throughout the season and you go through little spurts, whether you're a pitcher or a hitter. Um, I think it'll be fine. You guys are a pretty loose group in the dugout, um, on the bus, things like that, playing games and whatever. It doesn't seem like the team lacks for confidence, so I, I almost feel dumb asking this question, but is the confidence still level still super high going into this last weekend against High Point and then the Big Ten tournament? Oh, yeah. Confidence will never be a problem with this team. We always think that we're going to beat everybody we face and that we're the better team. And you've really played well against good competition this year. You took the two of three from Michigan. You took one game in Nebraska, which is really tough. Indiana was – I mean, I was there. You were there. It was insane. There was a tornado. Yeah. you, you got to throw that weekend out the door, right? Mm -hmm. So you guys have played well against good competition, so does that help the confidence going forward? I know the goal is to win a Big Ten tournament, get to the regional, maybe win a regional. So does that help you guys feeling good about yourself? Yeah, for sure. I know we'll always um, – we've beaten some pretty good teams, so we'll keep that – keep that with us going forward because we're going to face even better teams. All right, let's go on a little bit of a lighter note now. Uh, I've heard, we talked about this for a moment in the elevator, you're a big Star Wars guy. Yeah. And apparently you claim to be the biggest Star Wars guy in the team, but yeah. I think Ryan Selmer would have would take issue with that. So <laughs> do you have an argument to defend yourself on this? I just know more about it than he does. Okay, so let's go through it. Wh which of the movies is your favorite? Uh, Revenge of the Sith. Okay. Third one. All right, so... For people that haven't seen them all, or maybe myself who don't recognize by title, which one exactly was that? 
Uh, the third one. The third, the third one. Prequel. The third prequel. So that was the third one that ever came out. Yeah, it was the. They did the the first three movies that were ever made back in the late seventies and eighties were like the original ones, and that was and the prequels are were made in early 2000s, and that's the events before the original ones. So the timeline is kind of so you So you like the third one that was made in the 2000s? Yeah, it's actually the sixth movie made, but it's considered the third in the timeline. Okay, so like Hayden Christensen was in that. Yeah. Was that the one where he burns at the end? Yeah, when he turned into Darth Vader. All right, you know what? I was actually watching that last week. It was really? on TV. That's yeah. definitely one of my favorites. A lot of people say number four or the first one's their favorite. New Hope. Yes. Um, what did you think of the new ones? Oh, I love them. You like them? Oh, yeah. I think they're Are great. you excited for the next one? I, I think it's next winter it comes out. There was that yeah. one at the end. At the end, it was, I think, Luke Skywalker was on the on mm -hmm. the mountain. Yeah. I mean, that's got to be exciting yeah. for you, right? I can't wait. <laughs> have you have you watched Star Wars movies with Selmer? Yeah. We actually went to go see Rogue One together. Me, uh, Andrew Green, Nick Sierra, and a couple other guys, we all went together to watch it. And is there some good banter between you and Selmer after? Do you guys have arguments about Star Wars stuff? Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't know if we argue about stuff, but we always try to um, come up with facts that one of us don't know. Does that ever go on in the bullpen during a long game? Maybe. I remember, you know, <coughs> early in the season there was a doubleheader here mm -hmm. against Bryant where it was snowing, and it was a long day. So, w was there stuff you guys talked about in the bullpen? Maybe. Yeah, we'll talk about that in the bullpen or during BP before the game. Okay. Um, other than Star Wars, what else do you like to do in your free time? And I'm not suggesting Star Wars is all you do in your <laughs> uh, Just play video games when I have time or just listen to music. What video games? Uh, been playing Battlefield a lot. Battlefield. Are you not a sports video game guy? Every once in a while I'll play the show. Okay. Uh, What's your team in the show? Is it a Phillies because you're a Phillies fan? Yeah, I guess I got to get with the Phillies. So growing <laughs> up as a Phillies fan, they're not great now, unfortunately, for mm. you. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> Um, but they were very good when you were growing up. They, yeah. It was the Utley and Rollins era. And we talked to Nick Dunn on this podcast last week. He grew up a Phillies fan, and he was a big Utley guy. Mm -hmm. As a right-handed pitcher, were you Roy Halladay? Was that someone you looked up to? Yeah, I, I actually did like uh, Roy a lot. When did you start really, really following baseball, knowing that this could be something you wanted to pursue? Probably, probably when I was pretty young, probably between 10 or 12. You're listed at six four right now. Were yeah. you one of those six foot ten year olds? <laughs> yeah, I've always been pretty big. Okay, so people people picked you out pretty early as somebody who could pitch. Was it always pitching for you? Did you play any other positions? Yeah, I was actually a catcher before I started pitching, and then I got on the mound because I always had a good arm when I was a catcher. And then once I got on the mound, I knew pitching was what I wanted to do. As a pitcher, um, you get to have a lot of fun on this team. Mm -hmm. uh, some people say pitchers, you know, do a lot of fun things. I want to ask you about the staff as a whole, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's always maybe one or two pitchers on a staff who think they can hit. And we'll take Jamal out of this conversation because he was an outfielder. Maybe even take Reese out if you want because he was an infielder. Mm -hmm. But who's the PO who thinks they can hit on this team? Well, Zach Guth claims to be recruited as a two-way to other schools. I don't, I don't know how true <laughs> that is. <laughs> Because I've seen him take fly balls in the outfield. And it's not good? Uh, it's a little shaky. Not Division One <laughs> level? No. Any other guys who think they can swing the stick a little bit? Uh, Taylor Styles says he can. Really? But he might be able to swing a little bit. Okay. I can see it. Styles had a great start earlier this week. How cool was it for you guys to see that in his last home start? 
It was awesome to see. It, it was the best that I've seen him pit throw in a while. Other on the staff, right? We have Selmer, who thinks he knows more about Star Wars than you and apparently doesn't. Styles. Other guys in your class have stepped up a lot this year. One of them is Andrew Miller. Mm -hmm. Did you guys th go through a similar process between freshman and sophomore year? Kind of that big jump that we talked about with you. What have you seen from Andrew? I know that he had a really good summer. He's always thrown really hard, especially as a lefty, so I think that definitely works to his advantage. But, yeah, I, I know that he's worked pretty hard to get to where he was for this for this spring. You're going to be back in the Ripken League this summer, and it's kind of a unique situation because there are so many guys on Maryland who play in that league. Mm -hmm. Is that enjoyable to be around the same guys year-round? You get yeah. to know each other, get really close? Yeah, for sure. Now, summer baseball is obviously different than college baseball. Um I know the season's not over and you guys have big goals ahead and you've talked about how more comfortable you feel with your stuff and your mechanics, but are there things that you're already thinking about that you want to work on this summer? Pretty much. I just need, I just want to keep working on mechanical issues to, cause I still feel like I have a little bit more velocity that I'm just trying to unlock through using my lower half a little bit more. Now in your head right now, you're a reliever. You kind of came in as a starter. Where do you foresee your next year or two here in College Park? In the bullpen, or would you <coughs> like to start again? I would like to start again, but I actually really enjoy coming in, coming into close games. I'm starting to come into close games a little bit more often. Early in the year when I started throwing a little bit more, it was with a bigger lead or we were down by a little bit. And I'm a, I feel really comfortable coming into those close games, and I kind of like the adrenaline rush of being a reliever. It seems like you've gotten to come in in more big <laughs> spots of late, Obviously, it's because you've been pitching fantastic. Do you feel like there's a lot more confidence in you right now, and does that motivate you and help you out? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, I know that if I make all my pitches, I can get – I feel like I can get anybody out. And is, is that confidence level something that's unique to your time in Maryland so far? Is that something that you felt in high school? You know, so many of you guys had just overwhelmingly dominant high school careers. Yeah. And there can be a shift when you come here. And now that you're back at that point where you say, if I throw it – in the spot I want to, things are going to work out for me. Is that something that you're starting to feel now as well since you've had those mechanical adjustments and everything? Yeah, for sure. I know in high school, everybody on this team was one the best player on their team in high school. And then when you get here as a freshman, you don't I get, you don't really realize how different it is until you're thrown, thrown in there. Then you might get hit around a few times, and then you'll be like, wow, I, I need to change how, how I do stuff compared to how I did it in high school. Other than mechanics and <coughs> stuff and things like that, was there a change in mentality in terms of maybe pitch sequence where you could blow fastballs by pretty much everyone in high school and now you have to use more secondary pitches and things like that? Yeah, for sure. Like I know when I first got here, um, I, just, I was leaving too many fastballs up in the zone because I, I, I don't know, I just was used to it not mattering in high school and then I was just getting rocked. And I've really learned how to command the corners and live at the knees with my fastball. Was there a welcome to college moment where you said, okay, that's not going to work anymore? Yeah, well, in my first start, I gave up two home runs. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Never feels good, though. <laughs> uh -uh. Happens to the best of us. Um, now, you mentioned how much you love coming out of the bullpen. Now, with you and Selmer, the Star Wars thing, Ryan Selmer has the Darth Vader theme song when he comes out. You don't have any Star Wars stuff. Is that going to change when <laughs> Selmer leaves? Maybe you take that song? No, nah, I'm probably not going to do that. No, you like what you have now? <laughs> yeah. All right. Now, before we wrap up, we obviously really appreciate your time. You've given a lot of it. But yesterday was senior day. Things didn't go exactly the way you wanted. But it was a special day for one of us. Jake threw out the first pitch. And 
we talk about this a little bit about his first pitch. He obviously bounced it. Um, it rolled a little bit after the bounce. <laughs> now, would it have been better for him to throw from in front of the mound and reach home plate, or does he get the respect for going up top on the mound, and it doesn't matter that it didn't reach? I got to give him the respect for going on top of the mound. Yeah. Yeah, he's a grown man. He can't throw from in front of the mound. Now, he said Chef told him not to go up on the mound. Really? So not listening to Chef, I feel like that's not the best plan. Yeah. You know what? I'll give him credit for not listening to Chef. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, John, we appreciate your time here. Thanks for joining us on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. And good luck the rest of the way. Good luck at High Point. And hopefully we'll see some special things out in Bloomington and hopefully in an NCAA region. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Our thanks to John Murphy for joining us here on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. And now we're going to do something fun. Um, I thought, Jake, because you're closing out your tenure here with the Maryland Baseball Network and at the University of Maryland, I think all the people who listen to the broadcast and the podcast and everything would like to get to know you a little bit more. So we're going to have special guest Jake <laughs> Eisenberg here on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Jake, I, thanks for joining yeah, us. It's, it's my pleasure. <laughs> I won't lie. I'm, I'm on the other side of this interviewing process right now, and it's uh, pretty unnerving. Um, but let's let's see where it goes, I guess. If you, if, if you want it, we're going to do it. All right, so let's start with Little Jake. Little Jake. Growing up, always a baseball fan, I assume, Met fan, things like that. So uh, where did the love of baseball come from? Well, first of all, it literally was Little Jake. Growing up, I was very, very short. I've, <laughs> I started high school at five foot nine, um, and that's pretty small. I'm like 5'10 now. Well, I'm five six. What are you saying? <laughs> I meant I meant four nine. Okay. I was four foot nine at the start of high school. I've now grown a foot since then. I guess in the last eight years now, like um, Anthony Davis. Sure. I mean, I hey, I could go play basketball. No, I can't. I can't play no. basketball. Um, but yeah, I mean, I grew up playing baseball. I was. Uh, I like to think of myself as a little league all star, who then became a gym class hero when everyone else outgrew him, and now my athletic career, as we saw on Sunday with my first pitch, is most definitely over. Right. So. We'll get to that in a little bit, but at least for me, I mean, my love of the game and want to start broadcasting baseball became or came about because I played at a relatively high level and I wanted to stay in the game. But based on what you've said and the conversations we've had, you never really got to play at a high level. So what made you Ouch. want to stay <laughs> in the game? Hey, <laughs> facts are facts. I played I played two years of JV baseball, one year of varsity baseball. So no high level. Only had five at-bats at the varsity level, but... Honestly, so I was I was that little kid in my backyard who would narrate to myself while I would like throw fly balls myself or have a catch with my dad or my mom who taught me how to play the game. And I was that kid who would imagine, you know, three and two count, two outs, bottom of the ninth, bases loaded, down by three, you know, here's the pitch. And I would I would narrate that to myself. And I don't think I ever realized that that was, you know, play by play broadcasting, especially at the age that that was. But I think the coolest thing about broadcasting is being kind of the narrator behind those moments that really just, like, give you chills. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I remember watching the NLCS in 2006 when Andy Chavez makes that ridiculous grab over the left field wall, and I was allowed to stay up late and watch that. And, of course, you know, my dreams were crushed when Carlos Beltran struck out looking um, to end that ball game. But I remember, you like, like, literally feeling the hairs on my body stand up, not necessarily watching the catch, but listening to the catch. And, like, Vin Scully talks about this all the time, mm-hmm. like the roar of the crowd. For me, it's as much the words that are said underneath it as it is the roar of the crowd. Right. 
And just a side note here, it sounds like we have something in common. You mentioned your mom helped teach you how to play baseball. S the same thing with my mom, actually. When I waited for the bus every morning in elementary school, I played first base in Little League, and she would throw me picks every single morning. It was her favorite thing in the world. That's adorable. So it, was, it was a good no, time. My mom, my mom taught me how to play every sport that I played growing up, baseball, tennis, basketball, you name it. So, and happy Mother's Day from yesterday, yeah, obviously, yeah. to everyone. Um, so we like to talk a lot on the podcast with guys about their decision to come to Maryland, and it was recruiting, things like that. You know, you talked to Brian Schaefer, and he said, basically, Maryland was the only school that looked at him. That's what happened. But it doesn't work that way for normal people like us. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I know what you mean. Quote, unquote, normal people, non-student athletes. So what went into your decision to come here? I know you started out. Um, on the writing side of things and then switched over well when I was in high school I was the sports editor of the high school paper and I thought I was going to be one of those people who became a sports writer and then did well enough as a sports writer to end up on tv like Tim Kirchin or Jason Stark and that was kind of the idea that I had in my head was that I wanted to write and writing was important and I and I enjoyed it um, and so I applied knowing that I wanted to be a journalism major at whatever school so I applied to a bunch of schools with good journalism programs I applied early decision to Northwestern that was my top choice I applied to a bunch of other Big Ten schools. I applied to Indiana, Maryland. I took a look at Wisconsin. I took a look at Michigan. Um, ended up getting rejected from Northwestern. Um, early decision, so that wasn't an option. Um, and very thankful for that because I would have never ended up here in Maryland. Right, and because we learned this weekend Northwestern <laughs> is a print school. I, I guess so. You know what, Justin? Fine. If you're going to keep hammering that home, we'll give it to you. But when it came down to it, it was between Maryland and Indiana. Ironically, I guess, because we're headed back to Bloomington in a couple of weeks. That'll be my first time back there since visiting there as a high school senior. But it was it was literally like neck and neck, I guess, if you can imagine this as a race. And what put it over the top for me from Maryland was there was a clear focus on sports journalism here. There was Division One athletics in a city like D.C. that had professional athletics where the big difference was in Bloomington. There's really just Bloomington and then Indianapolis, which has the Colts and the 500, but I'm not a NASCAR fan, so it was really just the Colts and the Pacers. Um, and that's really kind of what it came down to. Plus, it's a lot easier to get to College Park from New York than it is to get to Bloomington from New York just on a travel basis or whatever. Um, and that's how I ended up here. So then once you were here, um, when did the switch come to broadcast? How did that coincide with the timing of your joining the Maryland Baseball Network or helping found it? So it's funny. Uh, I started as a multi-platform major. There's two tracks here in Maryland, multi-platform and broadcast. Started as multi-platform, and then at the end of my sophomore year, which is when Maryland Baseball Network was founded, was the spring of my sophomore year, I realized that pretty much everything that I was doing outside of class that I enjoyed the most was on the broadcasting side. At that time, I was writing for the school paper, the Diamondback. I was calling games for WMUC, and I was doing stuff for Maryland Baseball Network. Those were my three main extracurricular, so to speak. And I got the most enjoyment out of Maryland Baseball Network and WMEC Sports. It was also right around the time that BTN Student U was just getting started in Maryland, Maryland having just joined the Big Ten Conference. So come the next fall, I took a look at the broadcasting class, and I was like, okay, here's some classes I want to take down the line. In order to do that, I need to take some of these prerequisites broadcasting-wise. Let me do those. Um, so I took those, became switched over to the broadcast side, continued doing the broadcast stuff outside of classes, <laughs> and then ultimately, it's funny, um, I switched back to multi-platform just based on some of the electives I had taken and work that I had done. I figured out that I could graduate, well, on time without taking a class that would have taken up some time that I could use otherwise to call more games and do stuff with Maryland Baseball, which is exactly what I did. So essentially, I did both sides. 
Um, and while I do more broadcasting stuff now, I'm really thankful that I did all that writing stuff because I think doing all that writing stuff helps your vocabulary in ways that you don't realize in thinking about things on the spot, learning how to describe things, and just having an eye for different things that, that we do at Maryland Baseball Network. I think the writing stuff is, is crucial. And I, I know you've had a ton of great experiences here with MBN. Can you just talk about some some of them, maybe the best experiences, what they've taught you, what you've gotten to see, you know, the places you've gone, the people you've seen, all that stuff? Well, I have seen more of the country with Maryland baseball than I ever expected. And I mean coast to coast, like as far down as Clearwater, Florida, as far west as Fullerton, California. Um, the best trip that I ever went on was the first trip that I ever went on with Maryland baseball. And that was in 2015. And it was actually about maybe a ye two years ago today, roundabouts. It was the 2015 Big Ten Tournament, and it was held at Target Field in Minnesota, which is the home of the Minnesota Twins. And John Vitas, who was the founder of MBN and the senior at the time, well, he was graduating. And, well, he wasn't going to miss his graduation because his parents would have been upset, as mine would have been had I gone down to High Point. So here was an opportunity. Someone had to go. Someone had to cover the games. And here I was ready to go, willing to do it, and ended up that Maryland made it to the finals of that Big Ten tournament. I did four games by myself. Those were maybe the seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth games of baseball I had ever done. Um, but here I was, this sophomore, sitting in a major league press box, calling a game by myself. Um, so not only did I grow a ton through that experience, just through those four games, but that was the first chance I got to really meet a lot of the guys on the team, get to know the coaching staff on a better level. Um, plus, Minneapolis is a really cool place in general. Um, lots of cool things to do around there. I'd love to go back. We went to the Mall of America a couple times. But also, I mean, it was a major league ballpark. Mm -hmm. It was pretty cool. Right. Um, so you mentioned the players, the coaches. You've gotten to know them pretty well, and I've been impressed all season. You know, everybody says hi, Jake, when you walk by, things like that. Which yeah, it's common courtesy. It's, it's <laughs> they don't, they don't no, do it because they like me. No, it, it's, not, <laughs> it, it's a little thing, but it's valid. So have there been specific players – that you've enjoyed covering in your time with MBN. And I know you love talking to Rob Vaughn, so, you know, things like that, people you've really loved interacting with. I mean, you and Taylor Smythe obviously have a really, <laughs> I mean, iconic relationship around this campus. Well, uh, Tyler Cronin this past weekend uh, asked Twitter to name a more iconic duo um, with me and Taylor. Taylor, I mean, he's been there since day one, and he's, you know, as the SID for Maryland Baseball, the guy that I talked to, the most in regards to all these broadcasts. You know, we room together when we're on the road. So we've gotten to know each other very well. And, you know, he's a very good friend of mine, a great friend of mine um, after all these years. I think when it comes to guys on the team, coaching staff included, you know, the first guy who really welcomed me in as when I was a sophomore in the Big Ten tournament, meeting guys for the first time, the first guy that really welcomed me in was Rob Galligan, who was a left-handed reliever who exhausted his eligibility last year. Actually had a chance to broadcast with him earlier this season, that was a lot of fun. But he was the first guy who, you know, started asking me about, you know, who I was, got to know me, introduced me to some of the other guys. Um, always somebody who I looked forward to seeing when I went to the ballpark. And I, I really, I, I truthfully look forward to seeing every single player that I've come across. Um, it's very rare across any sport that you find a group of people where you truly and genuinely like every single one of them, where there are really no bad apples, so to speak, and I think Maryland baseball is one of those unique programs. There is truly not a single guy that I've spoken to, worked with, interviewed, what have you, that I do not, that I, that I genuinely dislike. Um, they're all, they're all great people. 
Um, some of the other ones that, you know, off the top of my head that I enjoy just, you know, talking to, Ryan Selmer is always an absolute goofball between his magic tricks and just the things he does, you know, the antics in the airport. Rob Vaughn is the best interview on the team, you know, just from a broadcasting perspective, but also a really fun guy to, to be around. Um, like I said, they're all they're all fun guys, whether it's playing Mario Kart in the hotel or hanging out at the ballpark and playing two ball, which I got to do once or twice and I sucked at it. Um, it's just it's it's really just genuine fun putting all that together now coming to this final weekend at home that you had I mean we'll talk about the actual pitch later but <laughs> what did it mean to you for them to honor you the way they did allowing you to throw out uh, what was supposed to be a first pitch it might have ended up being a first roll but okay okay let's let's we'll do that after just relax on, on there I, I made it to the plate it took one bounce it didn't roll um, well in 2015 when John graduated. He threw out the first pitch. And when I watched him do that, um, I remember thinking, wow, that's really cool that he would be honored in this way. And, you know, John's a guy that I, you know, looked up to when I was a sophomore and I still look up to today um, and still ask him for advice, you know, consistently. It's always great when he comes back and, and catches up. And I just feel lucky that I guess, you know, maybe I'm held in somewhat similar esteem. Um, to the point where, you know, I, I have the opportunity to do something like that and throw out the first pitch. Um, it's just, it's, it was, I mean, I said it a couple times. It was just really an honor to, to be recognized like that um, for the work that we have done um, over the past few years. And I know that work is going to, you know, continue to be even better quality and over the course of the next few years. So it was just, it was just really, really special uh, for me. Now, the specific pitch. I've heard from sources that your friends have started calling you Sir Bounce a lot. I, that, I, I, I have to debunk those sources. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's just me. Um, I mean, George Bush didn't bounce the pitch, and he was wearing a bulletproof vest. I mean, I don't think you're ever going to top that first pitch no. from him. Um, and I truthfully, so I had the chance. I found out that I was going to throw out the first pitch about maybe an hour before it Did actually happened. Did you warm happened. up? I sort of warmed up. I tossed in front of the Maryland bug in front of the Maryland dugout with John Dignacio for about maybe five or seven minutes, and we were about I don't know forty feet apart. Um, and I was I was I was firing them, you know, chest high, perfect strikes. I was feeling pretty good. Um, John was giving me some some confidence. We were like, yeah, right there. Um, and the one thought I had was, don't bounce it because if I bounce it, I'm never going to hear the end of it, and that's already proving to be true. Um, so we get in the dugout, and right before this is about to happen. You know, I start thinking, okay, wait a minute. Um, I see people go in front of the mound on first pitches, and I see some people, you know, go on top of the mound for first pitches. What should I do? And quite frankly, the first thought that came to my mind was, well, should I ask Taylor Bloom if he cares if I go on top of the mound? I don't want to, like, mess up his dirt or anything. Um, didn't end up asking Taylor because that's kind of a trivial thing to bother him with about, you know, four minutes before he's going to throw his first pitch. Um, but... I then asked John Sheff what I should do, and he's got some experience. He's thrown out a couple of first pitches at Camden Yards, and he said, no one will remember whether or not you were on the mound or in front of it. They'll only remember whether or not it was a strike or it was a ball. You should go in front of the mound, Jake. And looking back, it probably would have been a good idea to listen to him. But I pulled the rest of the dugout, um, just a couple other people, and the consensus that I got was, you know, you better go on the mound. Because if you don't go on the mound, well, then what are you doing? That's not a real pitch. Um, and I kind of felt that way to begin with anyway. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go on the mound. Uh, I'm going to do this. 
Uh, I asked Schaefer for a little bit of advice, and, of course, it was don't bounce it. Um, that's the advice that I continue to get. So what happened? I got up the mound. I looked down to, to Matt Swope in his crouch behind home plate, and I was like, wow, this is farther than I thought, and uh, I short-armed it. So do you think it would have been better to throw a strike from in front of the mound than bouncing it? Because you get some credit for actually going up to the rubber, but would that have been negated? Was that negated too much by the bounce, or would you have rather been in front or and thrown a strike, or are you happy with how it went? Well, I think Chef was right. More people will remember that it took a bounce than the fact that I was on top of the mound. That will always be my caveat, was that I was on the mound and haven't actually set foot on a mound or thrown from around, maybe since I was in middle school, but... I have no regrets. Okay. I, I would go back on top of the mound again. I'd probably have a better follow-through, maybe, or hopefully just throw the pitch better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's all you want. <laughs> maybe just throw it better. But, you know, all the credit to Matt Swope, who really tried to catch it before it bounced. And, you know, a lot of people don't give credit to the catchers on those first pitches who were able to pick the balls that are off the plate away and, you know, stuff like that. If Swope had, you know, if that one had bounced off his glove or gotten underneath it somehow, it looks way, way worse. So huge amounts of thanks to him for, for picking that one cleanly and making me look just slightly better than I actually was. So you and I both had different opportunities, but both had the opportunity to broadcast baseball this summer in college summer baseball leagues where it's, you know, an everyday thing. And when I got started this summer, I had multiple people tell me, you might think you want to do this now. You might think you want to pursue this. But after this summer, summer you'll really know. Uh, did you have that experience in the Cape? Well, before I went up there, I had done, you know, a lot of the games, the, a lot of the Maryland games in that season. Um, I think I did 75% of the games last spring. So I had already done a pretty decent slate, and that was on top of 15 credits last semester or last spring. So I had been through that grind in some ways already, and that was before I did 49 games in 62 days up with the Chatham Anglers in the Cape Cod League. And, you know, going up there, there was that thought, yeah, this is what P this is this is what it's like. This is what the minor leagues are like. This is what the major leagues are like. It's games day in and day out. Um, not as much time to prepare, not as much time in general. And I was really excited for it. And as the season kept going on and going on and, you know, the games kept going on and going on, it was just the most fun I had ever had. Um, it was just the best. You'd wake up around 10.30, you know, have a late breakfast, do a little bit of prep for the game, look up some trends, put together some notes, um, maybe go for a walk, go down to the beach. Um, we were right there. There's like some Are free time. Are you a time. long walk on the beach guy? I mean, not like an everyday thing, but it's, you know, sometimes good to clear your head. Um, maybe you go play some mini golf or there was a nice nine-hole course, you know, down the road, an actual real golf course. And, you know, if we had more time than most days, we'd go down there. Um, and then you'd come back, you'd do a little bit more prep, get to the ballpark around 2.30, 3 o'clock for the early hitting session. Um, if you're feeling really ambitious and, and prepared, sometimes I'd bring my glove and they'd let me head into the outfield and make a fool of myself trying to catch fly balls, which I sometimes now get the chance to do with Maryland baseball. But the point being that the grind was not a grind. It was fun and exciting and wonderful every single day. Um, so, yeah, there was a point at the end of the season where it was like, okay, I did this. I can do this. I can keep doing this. I could have gone for, you know, three more months had the season been that long. And, you know, that gave me a, a lot of confidence going forward. So you've had all these experiences. And next weekend, Saturday and Sunday, you'll be graduating from here. And I know we're going to Bloomington together, but you're going to be leaving College Park after four years. So what are the lasting memories you'll take from this place? 
ones that I can say on the podcast, yes. at least. Yes. <laughs> well, a lot of the memories, I guess, incidentally, you know, while they happened in College Park, they happened not necessarily, you know, in academic buildings or academic situations. A lot of the memories I'll take from here are really all the games that I've had the chance to do and all the places that I've had to go. That's the most fun part about doing all of this. And whether or not it was for WMUC or BTN Student U or Maryland Baseball Network, the amount of places that I got the chance to go and experience and see and all the people that I got the chance to meet, I mean, those are the memories I'll take with me. When I look back at my four years in college, I'll say, yeah, in college, I had the chance to call a baseball game at a major league ballpark. I had the chance to do an NCAA tournament basketball game. I had the chance to you know, do a football game, you know, at the big house or a football game in Maryland Stadium or a podcast with me or a podcast week. with. No, really. <laughs> and that and that and part of that. And that's part of it, too. You know, I'll look back and say, yeah, those podcasts were a lot of fun. I really enjoyed those um, and things like that. You know, I, I, I have thought about this a little bit. Like, what am I what are going to be my first memories looking back on my time in College Park? And there's no doubt that they will all at the forefront be Maryland baseball centric. So starting this summer, you're going to be taking over um, in a broadcasting role with the Brooklyn Cyclones, an affiliate of the New York Mets. What does it mean to you, first of all, to have that opportunity right out of college, and second, to be working at least in some manner or fashion with an organization that you've rooted for your whole life? Well, I, for off the bat, I could not be more lucky to be in the position that I'm in and have something for this summer. Um, just right out of college. That's such a rare thing in this industry that I've come to understand. And I'm really, really excited to work with Stu Johnson up in Brooklyn and call games with him um, for the Cyclones. And it's one of those things where, you know, you look at this as the path that you want to do, and you never really know if it's something that's actually reality until it, until it happens, until it all kind of all comes together. Um, so, you know, number one, I couldn't be more lucky to, to be have, have the opportunity to do this. For it to be the Brooklyn Cyclones, I mean, could it be any more perfect in terms of a start? It's about 45 minutes from my house, so I can live at home, which thrills my mother. It's an affiliate. She can teach you more sports. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's an affiliate of the team, like you said, that I grew up rooting for. So it's a farm system that I admittedly will know a little bit better than most because I followed it as a fan growing up. You know, And while I follow all the college teams now and all the other farm system teams because I enjoy like seeing where players who I have seen are and how they're doing you know certainly it's going to be a lot of fun to be a part of the Mets organization as a whole and you know admittedly it's really cool that I might you know have the first chance to look at who the Mets are going to have five ten years down the road that's awesome well it is and you've had all these experiences you're going to have some great ones in the future you and I kind of joked I think it was last week um about a lot of Terps that we've seen are making their way up the minor leagues. And, you know, how cool would it be for you in, let's say, two, three years if you're playing MLB The Show, the video game, and you get to <laughs> throw with Mike Schwarn or something like that. So your relationships you've built with all these people have obviously been very important to you. And we'll kind of close out on this. Um, you've done some amazing things here, and I know you've had great times. But have you ever anticipated anything the way that you are to spend maybe five days in a hotel room with me next week. <laughs> I, honestly, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I've roomed with Taylor Smythe on the road for a lot of days over the past two years, and we have a great time 
Had a great time with Matt present last year in Omaha for the Big Ten Tournament. I'm looking forward to Bloomington with you for as many days as we're there. Um, one funny thing that you kind of brought up about moving up through the minor league ranks, uh, I joked with Mike Schwarren last year after he got drafted. Um, I was like, hey, I'll race you to the major leagues. We'll see who gets, th <laughs> we'll see who gets there first. Um, and it's cool. You know, John has gotten the opportunity to now call games for teams with former Maryland guys. Last year he was with the Myrtle Beach Pelicans, and Jake Stinnett was there. This year he's with the Charlotte Stone Crabs, and Brandon Lau was there. And, I mean, hey, if somebody ends up in the Mets organization and with the Cyclones this summer, that'd be pretty cool. I'd have a, I'd have a someone I'd consider to be a friend already. Maybe you and Brian Schaefer can hang yeah, out hey, in Brooklyn this hey, summer. Hey, that'd be, that'd, be, that'd be a lot of fun. Well, uh, on a serious note, um, I know the entire staff and everyone that listens to our podcast and broadcast feels this way, but, it, you know, personally, I cannot thank you enough for everything this year. Um, you've become a role model to me very quickly, and you've helped me a lot in my one year in College Park, and I know we'll stay in touch and everything, but just to finish this, thank you so much for everything you've done. It's uh, thank you because it's been it's been my pleasure too, and if you listen to this whole interview, I mean, my goodness, thank you so much for <laughs> – <laughs> the amount of attention that, that you think I deserve because it's it's certainly not. Well, my friend, I'll let you do the honors as always. Why don't you send us home? <laughs> All right. Well, that'll do it for this edition of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Special thanks to John Murphy and also Justin Galanti for thinking that I deserved the amount of time that, that I took up. It was a lot of fun. Uh, as always, you can check us out on Twitter at mdbaseballnet or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mdbaseballnet. Remember, this week's games are Thursday, Friday, and Saturday down in High Point, North Carolina. Connor Newcomb will be down there, and MBN coverage gets underway 30 minutes before the first pitch of every game. So that'll do it for the 37th edition of the Maryland Baseball Network Podcast. Thanks for listening. Click subscribe if you enjoyed it, and so long.